you know, um, ooh, one of the names I remember they had for the uh, Saturday Night Live cast early on was the not ready for primetime players, right? Clearly, I am not ready for primetime. I can't figure out how to get my mask off this mic every week. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're new with us, my name is Tim Deal. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's so good to be able to connect virtually. Uh, I know this is not ideal. You know, we, we had been back together meeting in person for a while, and we're really grateful for that. And here we are again virtually, and, and we know that's challenging. We would love to be together in person. Um, and, and this was a hard decision to make. You know, as if you read the email that I sent out earlier this week, uh, the leadership team, Pastor Andrew and myself, kind of wrestled over this, and it just felt like, to the best of our understanding, this was the most loving thing we could do. But we knew there was a cost. We knew that, it, you know, to do it, to, to, to choose this thing that felt loving, was to sacrifice um, the chance to be together, at least for a time. Um, but we knew that love does always feel in some way like sacrifice. So we're, gonna, we're talking about love, actually, this morning. Uh, we've been in this, uh, this Advent series going week by week, and this morning we're reflecting on love. And, and as I was thinking about love this week, I was actually drawn to uh, kind of a, a different story, a story I'd, I'd never heard before. It's a story about this guy who sucker-punched a kangaroo. Maybe you've seen this. I know one of my daughters, I was sharing this with her because I was just amazed at it. And she was like, oh yeah, dad, I saw that before. So maybe you're way ahead of me in this. But I came across this just this week. So apparently, there's this guy, I think he's a zoologist, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But he's, he's in Australia, and he is hunting hogs, wild hogs, with some buddies. And they've got hunting dogs. And as they're out hunting, because it's Australia, there's kangaroos. And they come across this pack of kangaroos, and one of the male kangaroos puts his dog in a headlock. Now, let's back up for some context. When you and I, unless you're, maybe you're watching from Australia. If you are, good day. Uh, it's, it's great to have you with us. Uh, but most of you are probably not watching from Australia, and probably our concept of kangaroo is some fuzzy, cuddly, teddy bear kind of thing with big feet and a baby in the pouch. Cool, right? Not exactly what is true to life. Apparently, kangaroos in real life, particularly the males, can be really aggressive. They are large. If you can see from the picture, which I believe is right here, uh, you can see this kangaroo is about the same size as this dude, so like over five foot tall. And so these, and, and they have like claws on their feet and they kick really hard, uh, right? And so they can be actually deadly to people. So this male kangaroo has his dog literally in a headlock. He runs up to it because he loves his dog, right? He loves this dog. And so he runs up to the kangaroo. The kangaroo, the dog manages to like wiggle away and it stands upright facing this guy. I kid you not. The kangaroo is facing this guy and he kind of like is in a boxing stance and he punches the kangaroo square in the jaw. And it stuns the kangaroo, and, and he's able to kind of run away, and the dog gets away. And it's crazy. And I'm not in any way promoting punching animals. Not at all. Uh, and, and this was really risky. But what struck me in this is the fact that he was willing to risk his life for his dog. He loved this animal so much that he put himself in harm's way. 
he risked himself to, to save it. And that is, that's what love does, right? It, it moves us out from where we would normally, I mean, what I would do in that situation is kind of stay in the car and be like, man, that stinks. I guess we'll have to find another dog, right? Like I would kind of hunker down and protect myself because I am not going to square off with a kangaroo. That tends to be what we do, right? When, when things feel risky or scary, we hunker down. Maybe we find the people we love, we pull them close, and we protect ourselves. But love moves us out from fear and self-protection into what looks like sacrifice. What is sacrifice? This is what love does. I was reading a book called uh, Tolkien's Ordinary Virtues by a guy named Mark Eddie Smith, and he's kind of reflecting on the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien. And he says this, he says, Love is the goal and object of every other virtue. In its highest form, love of others supersedes love of self, and sacrifice thereby becomes possible. This is what love does. Love draws us out from our safe places into places and spaces that are risky for the sake of others. Well, we have, as I mentioned earlier, we've been in this series that we've been calling Disruption. And this is our Advent series, and we are following Mary, the young mother of Jesus. And, and we're kind of journeying with her as we await the birth of Christ. Each week, we're focusing on a different theme. So last week was, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago was hope. Then last week was peace. This week, we're looking at love. So how do we see love evidenced in the life of Mary? How does Mary show us the way of love in this Christmas story? Well, I want to look at a passage in Luke chapter 1. So we've been in, up until this point, we've been in primarily or only Luke's gospel, kind of looking at Mary's story through that lens. Luke's gospel is the third biography of Jesus. So if you want to turn with me, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're beginning in verse 39. Now this is immediately after the angel has appeared to Mary. We've been covering this passage the last two weeks where the the angel appears to Mary and announces that she is going to give birth to the Christ child. And then we come to this immediately after in verse 39. We read, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And then skipping down to verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. So in the announcement that the angel makes to Mary, he mentions specifically that Elizabeth is pregnant with a child. Now, what we know about Elizabeth is that she is old. Now, we don't exactly know what that means. Uh, People didn't live as long back then, so what does that mean? But we know she's well beyond the age that you would expect a woman to give birth. So that that we know that she's old, and this is a miraculous birth. 
And so the angel says to Mary, this is apparently the first time we hear this, that Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And that's kind of the example that the angel uses to assure Mary that nothing's impossible for God. That whatever God wants to do, God can do. See, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. She's, been preg- she's six months pregnant. So immediately after hearing this announcement that Mary is going to be pregnant, but also that her cousin is pregnant, Mary goes to the hill country of Judea. Now, what does that mean? We, we, we need some kind of sense of geography. I think we have a map here we'll throw up for you. Uh, this isn't like, you know, Mary doesn't just run next door. She doesn't run to the next town over. The, the place where Elizabeth lives, according to tradition, is called In Kerem. And this is in the southern part of Israel, whereas Mary is in Nazareth, which is the northern part. And they're approximately 100 miles away from each other. And so Mary, having just found out that she is expecting, travels 100 miles, which is roughly five days' journey, to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Now, we don't exactly know, that, like, the scriptures don't tell us what exactly motivates that journey. We could you know, there's, you know, who knows? It's unlikely that she goes because they're that close, because if they were that close, you would think she would know six months in that her cousin was pregnant. So she's, she's compelled in some way, for some reason, to, to move out to go visit her cousin, who's 100 miles away. Now, it's not just that she's 100, mile, 100 miles away. History tells us that this journey was actually pretty, pretty risky, there was, it was uphill. The elevation increased as you went south, and so she was going uphill. Um, and there were often bandits along the way, people who would hide out and wait for unsuspecting, vulnerable travelers and would rob them. So Mary is, is taking a risky journey. After immediately finding that she's pregnant, she's taking this risky journey all the way down to see her cousin. So what could possibly motivate her to do this? Again, Luke's not explicit about it, but we do know that she's six months pregnant, and Mary gets there, and then we read at the end that she stays with her for three more months. So do the math, right? So six months, three months, nine months. Hey, she stays with her throughout the end of her pregnancy. During the most difficult time, this last trimester, where her aged cousin is awaiting to give birth. And granted, you know, it, it was the, the birth was this miraculous thing for Elizabeth. Uh, the, the angel, and, you know, appeared to her husband. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, you should go back and, and read it when we're done here. It's at the beginning of Luke's gospel. It's kind of a fascinating parallel story where this couple is giving birth to John the Baptist, who will be a prophet who will announce the coming of Jesus. So there's an angelic visit here. So there's some assurance that this pregnancy is going to go okay. But at the same time, you know, we know even with modern medicine, if a woman is kind of later in life and is pregnant, there are complications associated with that. Well, that's exacerbated in first century Palestine where there's no kind of modern medical care. And so here's an older woman who's pregnant, who's facing lots of risks. And so what does Mary do? What does Mary do? She stays with her. For three months, even though she herself is pregnant, she stays in this other town, 100 miles away from home, with her cousin to take care of her. From all of that, I think the, most, the, the clearest reason we can see that Mary moves towards Elizabeth is that she loves her. This is an act of love. 
this, this love for Elizabeth moves Mary beyond her, her sense of comfort and protection. I mean, think about it. If you just heard you were pregnant, and it's kind of shocking, right? Like, it's kind of scandalous, in fact. You're not quite married yet, and what are people going to say? And there's going to be rumors, and instead of, like, kind of hiding out and staying with people close to her, she moves out in love towards her cousin. I mean, this is a beautiful picture of self-giving love. And where does that come from? Now, maybe Mary's just a lot nicer than you or me. It's probably true. Um, But it strikes me that it happens immediately after she experiences this overwhelming sense of God's presence with her. I mean, remember, if, if you've been with us and you've listened to the last couple of sermons, we've focused on the fact that the announcement that the angel gives to Mary is essentially, don't be afraid, the Lord is with you. And so after Mary has experienced this moment of God's presence with her, even filling her to the extent that she is pregnant with God in the flesh, Jesus Right, this very intimate experience of God's presence, she's moved in love towards others. It's this experience of God's love that enables her to take the risk to love Elizabeth. And this is, this is how love works. We love not to get love from others. That's, that's not actually love, that's manipulation. Right? We love in response to love that we've received. John, uh, one of Jesus' closest disciples, refers to himself in his gospel as the one who Jesus loved. Something about the relationship that John experienced with Jesus assured John that he was loved. And the evidence of this is striking. John, more than any other New Testament author, uses the word love so much so that it's almost redundant again and again in John's gospel, in his biography of Jesus, and in his letters later in the New Testament. John repeats again and again this idea of love, the love that God has for us and the love that we are to have for one another and for others. In fact, it's John who gives us this powerful statement in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Love that sacrifices must be rooted in an experience of love. We can only take the risk to love when we know that we're loved. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, says it this way. He says, It is easy to acknowledge, but almost impossible to realize for long, that we are mirrors whose brightness, if we are bright, is wholly derived from the sun that shines upon us. I love that image, that image of mirrors that simply reflect the image of the sun that shines upon us. That is what love is. That is what love in the way of Jesus looks like. Not something that we kind of call up within ourselves using our own resources, but a response to the love we've received. This idea of mirroring is actually a pretty significant psychological insight. There's a lot of work that has been done about mirroring in people. It turns out that we as people are wired to mirror. I mean, we know this with babies. 
early on in the womb, before they're born, right? Babies in the womb, their heartbeats align with their mother's. They mirror their mother's biology, her body. When they're young, babies, of course, uh, respond. They mirror what the parents are doing, the expressions, um, all the, the, fa- the way the, the, the facial expressions of the parents, their reactions, all of that. Babies learn how to engage with the world by mirroring. But it's not just limited to babies. We as adults are regularly mirroring people that we admire, people that we look up to, people that we want to be like, our lives, the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we act, is a reflection of people that that we look up to. We're mirroring. We were wired to do that. We were created to be people who reflect those we look up to, we admire, who we learn from. This is what love looks like. It is mirroring the love of God that we experience towards others. This is what Mary did. She experiences God's love and God's presence, and she immediately mirrors that. She lives that out with Elizabeth. She moves towards her, even though there's great risk involved. And in that, she embodies the gospel. She embodies the good news of Jesus even as he's but a tiny, you know, three-day-old baby growing in her womb. After all, it's Jesus who shows us most clearly God's love for us as God comes to be with us. We heard as as Julia sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? That that cry. And then the, the exclamation, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. That the good news, the gospel that we celebrate at Christmas is not simply kind of a happy story or a mythology. It's, a, it, it's kind of the fundamental reality of the cosmos that God has shown up in the world that God has created. He's come to be with us in Jesus. His love is shown in his presence. Ultimately, in his death, we see the extent of his love and his desire to be with us. And in his resurrection, we see the power of his love to conquer even the worst that evil can throw at it. In Jesus, we understand how deeply we are loved. And we are invited to mirror that love to others. In this time right now, people are desperate to experience the love of God. All of us are. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenging time. And, you know, as we've kind of even moved back to all virtual here for a, a hopefully a relatively short period, we know that there are times we kind of have to pull back for our own safety and, and for the safety of others. However, that's very different than a call to kind of hold up, hunker down in your house and wait out the storm with others, like with the people that are closest to you, and just hope everybody else makes it out okay. That's not at all what we're, what we're called to as followers of Jesus. In fact, you'll notice, uh, hopefully you've been following with us on our, on our Advent calendar that we have on our, our website. 
Uh, if not, I encourage you to check that out after we're done here. Uh, but in that, we have a number of different ways. Each day, there's an invitation to a different way to reflect on the themes of hope and peace and love and joy. And there's a combination of invitations to both reflect on God's love for us, but also to move out in love towards others. Love in this moment requires that we take uncomfortable action to care for those around us. It's why we're inviting you, even as we're saying, be safe, you know, make wise decisions. We're also saying, think about ways to invite your neighbors to donate winter items so that we can care for, for the folks who are being served by Opportunity House, right? Because as hard as this is for everyone, it's, it's most difficult for those who are already vulnerable and at risk, the, the poor and the homeless. They're the ones who experience the most pain and suffering during this time. So let's not just kind of hunker down and hold on to our own and hope that all works out. Let's figure out ways that even as we're being safe, we can invite our neighbors to donate winter clothes and be a part of helping us bring some hope and love to people who are struggling. Or, or it's why we're inviting you as you're thinking in the Advent calendar to consider writing cards to people in nursing homes who are isolated and alone. Or even, in, again, as long as people feel comfortable with it and, and you can do it safely, like make some cookies for a neighbor. Take them something to, to say, hey, I appreciate you. Check in with them. Make sure people are doing okay in your neighborhood. This is not a time to pull back and isolate yourself. Sure, we need to be careful, but we need to also be thoughtful and be willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of loving other people. There's this tension that exists, and we need to embrace that and live into it. But we can't do it out of our own resources. We can't love unless we first received the love of Christ. We have to be steeped in God's love so that we can reflect that love to the people around us. So as we move into our final worship song, Julie and Josh are going to lead us into a song that helps us to reflect on this love. As we do that, I want to kind of leave you with a couple of, of questions to think about. The first is, how are you experiencing God's love for you right now? Where, where in your life, with all you're going through, are you experiencing God's love? That might be a hard question to answer. But I would argue that you are. God is loving you. The question is, do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? Are we paying so much attention to all that's going on around us that is disheartening, frustrating, maybe even infuriating. Is that where we're giving all of our attention? Or are we fixing our eyes on our creator, on the one who has come to us in love this Christmas and every Christmas in the person of Jesus to reveal his presence with us and his love for us? There's evidence all around in the love we experience from others, in the breath that we breathe, in the moments of wonder, God is with us. How are we paying attention to that? How are you giving your attention to God's love in your life? I'd invite you, I uh, have a couple of scriptures up here. Some, you know, one of the, the practices that is most helpful for me when I'm struggling with um, anxiety or, or frustration is to allow my attention to be f fixed on Scripture, that 
tells me who God is and what God is like and kind of reorients me, kind of puts, points me in the right direction. And there's some passages here that, that we want to share with you. Uh, and there's a ton. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of scripture in here we could point to. But for the sake of ease, some ones that could be really helpful is Psalm 139, uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 6 to 7. And Romans chapter 8, 31 to 39. Just a couple of portions. But I would invite you to, to kind of look at these passages, maybe even find one that most resonates with you, print it out, and even focus on memorizing it during this season. These are passages that draw us to God's love for us. They remind us, they keep us grounded in the depth of God's love for us, even during these trying times. So whether it's focusing on Scripture, whether it's making sure you have time that you're daily, reflecting, listening, praying, whatever it might be. Make sure that there is time that you are staying rooted and grounded in God's love for you. But then secondly, how is God then inviting you to mirror that love for others? Again, we've given you lots of hints or suggestions on our Advent calendar, but there's probably specific ways that God, by his Spirit, is kind of prompting you, inviting you, to reflect the love that you are receiving to others, to be a mirror of that love. What's one or two ways that God's inviting you to do that? So take a moment to reflect on those. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, Julia and Josh are going to come up and lead us in a final song. Father, we, um, we are struck by Mary's selfless act of love towards Elizabeth. And we are reminded in that of your incredible act of love for us in Christ. Would you help us to stay rooted in your love? Help us to experience your love. And give us the courage to mirror your love to others. May we be um, people who are overflowing with the love of Christ to such a degree that we are offering it graciously and freely to all of those we come in contact with, even where that calls us to sacrifice and discomfort and risk. Would we find great joy and hope and peace as we live in your love and with your love towards others? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.